Hi, I'm Charlotte Marchant, digital intern based at Bodmin Keep Army Museum. And I'm Joseph Quinn, digital intern at Helston's Museum of Cornish Life. As we discussed in our last BBC upload, over the coming months, myself and Charlotte will be discussing how we are working together to explore the diverse aspects of life in Cornwall during the Second World War and to connect these stories to what's happening in people's lives today. As part of this, we are going to share with you some of the stories we have gathered. Stories of people, soldiers and civilians, locals and foreigners, enemies and friends. The stories of Cornwall during the Second World War. And in today's episode, we will be sharing with you two very special stories. The story I have chosen to share is that of Nurse Olive Barnacut, who treated injured soldiers at Bodmin St Lawrence's Hospital during the war. Within the archives of Bodmin Keep, we have an album previously owned by Nurse Olive Barnacut. Olive's album is full of tender words of thanks, poems, funny limericks, drawings and portraits. It seems that Nurse Barnacut would pass the book to her patients and invite them to add something to the pages. So the album consists of contributions from the soldiers rather than Olive herself. Tell us a little bit about Olive and her role at St Lawrence's Hospital in Bodmin. So Olive, officially known as Lillian Olive Barnacut, was Cornish through and through. So she was born in Falmouth in the early 1900s and she died in the late 1980s in Myla Bridge. And during the war, as I mentioned, she worked in St Lawrence's Hospital. So Olive was based in a designated emergency hospital service ward, later known as the Emergency Medical Service and frequently referred to as the EMS. Uh, so the EMS was established at the outbreak of World War II and it employed doctors and nurses to care for those injured by enemy action and arranged for their treatment across the range of local and charity hospitals that existed at the time up and down the country. Could you tell us a little bit about Olive's diary? What was it like? What form did it take? So Olive's album is one of my favourite objects in the collection at Bodmin Keep that I've come across so far. It's a leather-bound autograph album. Um, it's quite small, brown leather, and as I mentioned before, it would kind of appear to us that Nurse Barnicot would pass the book round to her patients and invite them to add something to each of the pages. Um, so there's drawings, poems, portraits many messages of thanks to Olive herself as well for um, what it seems her diligent care. So there was a lot of affection for Olive that is obvious in her album. Could you give us an example of um, an excerpt from the diary, something that sort of conveys, um, you know, the kind of contributions that were made to this album? Yeah, of course. Um, so many of the messages signed by the servicemen she treated uh, were dated between 1941 and 1942. So this particular excerpt, titled Burgie, was signed on the 6th of October 1941. And it reads, There is a place which I know best. It is in dear old Cornwall. Falmouth is the gem of the West. With creeks and rivers it is blessed, and its harbours considered one of the best. In dear old Cornwall, now Barney lives at Myla Creek, round the corner from Trefusis, and she has a view of the Carrick Roads and Antony Point, which in days of old were the haunts of our seamen bold of dear old Cornwall. 
I shall always remember Barnacut when I am old and grey, and I'll think of you in Cornwall with its sea and sunshine gay. And maybe I'll come and see you someday with love from poor old Bergie. Wow, there's a lot of affection in those lines uh, towards Nurse Barnacut, uh, probably on account of the care that she gave that particular patient, Bergie. Yeah, and that was kind of echoed throughout her album, really, which is, um, yeah, it's a lovely piece. Mm. Were there any other pieces, though, that kind of ventured in a different direction, expressed other feelings about the war, about military service? Yep, so there's actually an entry that I've located from Pete J.J. Stevens of the DCLI, signed on the 23rd of January, 1941. And it reads, where are the lads of Cornwall? Where would we have them be? fighting for king and country, close to territory. Many will cross the border, here this great war shall cease, but never a man will falter till victory brings us peace. You mentioned the DCLI, the Duke of Cornwall's Life Infantry. So this man was a, a, a soldier in that regiment. Yep, he certainly was. So the DCLI were the Duke of Cornwall's Light Infantry, a light infantry regiment of the British Army, which existed from 1881 to 1959. And it's definitely fair to say that during the Second World War, the DCLI played a significant role. Uh, For example, the Territorial 5th Battalion landed in Normandy in 1944 and went on to fight its way across Northwest Europe. And of course, Bodmin Keep itself is very significant to the DCLI's history. Since the regiment's inception, the site has been used as a depot and with the barracks behind the keep constructed between 1874 and 78 to provide living quarters for the soldiers and officers, which were still being used by the regiment in the lead up to World War II and during World War II. With the prospect of another war on the horizon, though, the DCLI, the lead up to World War II, was increased significantly in size, as was the site which was developed further to meet the needs of the regiment. So, yeah, Olive's album with the lovely excerpt I shared from Pete, the DCLI soldier, links kind of this history and community very well. And there are clearly very many interconnected stories worth sharing. Uh, Which leads me on to your story, Joe. What will you be sharing with us today? Well, the story that I'm sharing is, uh, it's one of uh, an evacuee to Cornwall, uh, a young man named Carmen Sidonio, who is of Italian heritage. His parents are both Italians, uh, immigrants to England, and he's evacuated to Cornwall with his brother, Dominic. Now he was interviewed in the 1980s by the Imperial War Museum, and his interview can be found in the Imperial War Museum sound archives, uh, which can, and can actually be accessed on the IWM web- website. Okay, can you tell us a little bit more about Carmen? Yes, Carmen's father emigrated to England in 1910 and started a business in Inverness in Scotland. And it was there that he met Carmen's mother, who was an Italian woman from the same region of Italy, uh, who lived in St. Andrews. And they married and started a family in Inverness. But the business in Inverness collapsed, so they then had to move to Invergordon. And they stayed there for about a decade between the 1920s and 30s. And it was not until the late 1930s that the family decided to move to London. And they gradually moved to London. By the autumn of 1938, when Carmen was 12 years old, the family had relocated to Blackheath near Greenwich in London. And uh, the war broke out about a year later. And 
the family weren't immediately affected by the outbreak of war, but when Mussolini declared war on Britain in 1940, in June 1940, the effect of this upon the family and the entire Italian community in Britain was quite profound. One of Carmen's brothers served in the British Army, but the other brother registered as a conscientious objector. And because after Italy entered the war, uh, this brother, Luigi, who became a conscientious objector, was very adversely affected and he was interned on the Isle of Man for having refused to serve in the armed forces. Okay, um, so why was Carmen himself evacuated to Cornwall? Well, Carmen was evacuated to Cornwall in 1941. Uh, there are two periods in which evacuees from London uh, were basically taken out of the capital. And that was in 1939 when the war began. But because of the phony war, which lasted until May 1940, where there was not much in terms of activity, bombing or otherwise, uh, a lot of those evacuees came back to London and essentially they stayed there. Uh, but then uh, the Blitz on London began at the height of the Battle of Britain. And the Blitz intensified in 1941 and areas like Greenwich, Blackheath, where uh, the Sidonios were living, were very badly affected by the bombing. And so Carmen and his brother were among thousands upon thousands of child refugees that had to leave London that were evacuated. And Carmen ended up in the village of Grampound initially in Cornwall. And then within a few weeks, himself and his brother were then relocated to St. Stephen. And they stayed there until 1942. That's interesting. Does Carmen speak of experience of Cornwall at all in the interview? He does, and there's a lengthy excerpt about his time in Cornwall, and broadly speaking, he speaks positively of his time in Cornwall, although there were one or two negative um, incidents that were recalled or negative feelings about the fact that they had to relocate from Grand Pound to St. Stephen so quickly. But ultimately, his experience in Cornwall was quite positive and certainly kind of shaped him in a way that you would see later on. Uh, but uh, he was very happy with the family he ultimately ended up um, staying with, with his brother, Dominic. And uh, that was actually a, a couple, uh, a butcher and his wife, who didn't have any children of their own and were based in St. Stephen. And he speaks very fondly of his time with this particular couple. Could you give us a excerpt of this from the IWM interview? Yes, I can. Uh, he talks about the time he spent with this particular couple and the advantages of being with a butcher, particularly during wartime. And what he says is this, at weekends and off school time, Dom and I used to help the butcher. He gave us little jobs to do because he always had chickens out the back and geese too, and we do lots of jobs. And the thing that really thrilled me at that time was the fact that his wife was a really good cook and she'd bake the most wonderful Cornish pasties something I'd never heard of before or tried, but they were lovely. And because he was the butcher, we'd always get meat dishes, more than the other children, I suppose. So we were lucky in that way. And the Cornish pasties had quite a bit of meat in them, apart from the vegetables. And so we did very well, and we were very happy with them. And I think they quite enjoyed our company too. We were quite well behaved. Very good. Good to get the Cornish pasty story in there. Absolutely. And in particular, the fact that they got meat because this was a time of severe rationing. And a lot of children, a lot of people around the country weren't able to get meat in their meals. But he had the very good fortune of living with a butcher, uh, with a wife who was a very good cook. And they were very fortunate in that regard. They got meat 
at a time when many people had to go without. And this is something that we don't really, uh, I suppose, appreciate about those times, the fact that many people had to do without basic luxuries that we take for granted today. One thing I did notice in the interview was that Carmen, um, from our previous discussions as well, Carmen tended to have a very independent spirit. He did. Um, he was very independent spirited. And this came out in his encounter in the local Catholic school. This is a Catholic school that relocated from London, um, from Kentish Town, and was located in the area of St. Stephen. And he came into conflict with the parish priest, and the priest wanted Carmen to serve as an altar boy. But Carmen, while he would attend mass and do all the usual things that Catholic school children were expected to do, he didn't want to become an altar boy. And so what happened was he objected. Uh, the headmaster fought his corner with the priest and he got his way. And this is quite interesting because later on, a couple of years later, after, Cornwall, after he leaves Cornwall and returns to London with his brother, he decides to become a conscientious objector when he's called up for military service. Now, unlike his brother Luigi, this actually works out very well for him. There's no, um, there's no prosecution by the authorities. He's an intern or anything. Rather than that, he's actually sent to a farm to do war work in Surrey. And there he spends the rest of the war doing work on this Surrey farm and playing his part in the war effort. So, but this goes to show you sort of the independent spirit that Carmen demonstrated at a very young age, which would later um, come, it, it come into being, it would come into vogue when he decided to become a conscientious objector. And that kind of leads into your more general research topic at the Museum of Cornish Life, I believe. Yes, it does, because we were doing a project on conscientious objectors in Cornwall during the Second World War. And it's a topic we really want to know a lot more about. Um, and we'd be fascinated to hear from members of the public if they have any stories at all about members of their family or people that they know about or stories that they know of, of conscientious objectors in Cornwall during the war and what their experiences were like. Great. Well, we hope you've enjoyed the stories we've shared with you today. And we both very much look forward to sharing with you more over the coming months. Yes. Thank you very much for listening and see you next month. Goodbye. Bye.